Hi, I'm Naomi Castro, and this is the Castropod. This season, I'm talking with some amazing college and nonprofit leaders who are new to their executive roles. They are in the midst of change, of swirl, of transitions, and they're doing all this during a pandemic with all that that entails. But we managed to find some time to exchange salsa recipes, so go grab some chips and dig in. I am always so, so happy when I get to work with Doctora Angelica Garcia, now president of Berkeley City College. She has this way of being warm and inviting and intellectual all at the same time. Okay, so today is May 3rd. Uh, It's a beautiful spring day in beautiful California, and I am here with my dear friend, and um, compañera, uh, Dr. Angelica Garcia. Hello. Hi there. How are you? It's, I'm good. I'm good. We have been trying to make this interview happen for a minute. <laughs> I know we have. You know, life got a little complicated this past year. <laughs> it, it did. It did. And I actually, so I, I had a, a one of the other interviews I did. Um, uh, we were talking about the inclusion of the different folks in in the podcasts, and uh, they they were saying you know something to the effect that you know that I I included a, a wide diversity of folks, and I said you know that's not on purpose. Like these are just people who I, I like know them. I consider them friends in many cases. I admire them. I'm just lucky that I have a, a kind of, when, when I describe people who are friends of mine and who are colleagues and who I get to work with. It's a diverse group. But every other person in this season so far is a is a dude. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Okay. I know, and that was not intentional. And so, even though I did ask you quite a while ago, I, it, I was feeling a little bit more urgent. Like I have no women in so far. Like I have no women. This is crazy. Um, but this this season is focusing on transitions, and I think uh, the first part of the season, which I might release separately is folks who are new to their uh, executive leadership positions. Uh, And then the second part will be folks who are either recently or have announced they're about to leave or have recently left executive positions. I think we'll have some more ladies in that, in that grouping. But you, so you are president of Berkeley City College. Oh my gosh. I am. I am. I'm coming up on one year in about four days here. I started May 7th of 2020. So you're kind of catching me on my one year anniversary. That's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. And you, you moved into this role during the pandemic. Like, like we were just basically the whole state had shut down and kind of a little bit on freak out mode. Yeah. So how was that? (laughs) How was that? Um, well, I was coming from a college because I was previously vice president of student services at another college. So I was um, transitioning because, of course, in, amidst the COVID-19 and the shelter in place, getting that college and everything um, that was under my area to be ready to support students to go completely online. Um, so I, uh, it's no exaggeration when I say that I was working at that college, supporting all of the efforts to make sure that um, students were served and all of uh, student services was good to go up until May 6th. And then on May 7th, I started at Berkeley City College, kind of with the same lens. Okay, what do we need to do? What's happening? How are we supporting students? And um, so honestly, there was no time to think about it, to be quite honest. Um, I think that had I thought about it, uh, 
I might've gotten a little scared. I might've um, been more hesitant in taking either uh, the initiative to start a new position that way, or I don't know, maybe been more conservative about it, but, you know, we were in the midst of just supporting students. So there was no time to think about, um, that it couldn't be done. Everything was about how do we get it done? So, um, I, I have to be honest, I am tired. I'm a year out and I'm looking forward to maybe getting a little bit of a break this summer. Um, but that's okay. I, I think that if I had to do it over again, I don't know that I would do it any differently to tell you the truth. Cause it, uh, it made sense for what was going on at the time. Uh, it made sense for, um, I think how I live my life, which is to, um, trust my instinct and move with opportunities as they come forward. So, I mean, I think that if I had to do it over again, I don't think I would choose to do it any differently to tell you the truth. Oh, that's yeah. good to hear. That's great. Yeah. That's very reassuring. Yeah. And like we were on basically, it was like triage. It was like yeah. crazy. So did you have, did you have any kind of like operating principle or like, how did you, because I'm sure things were coming at you like more tasks, more decisions than were like humanly possible to make in a 24 hour period. So how did you figure that all out? Um, you know, I think a big part of it is trusting in the team that works with you. Um, so certainly there was not a decision that I made that was not uh, informed by some perspective, be it the administrators on the cabinet team or faculty classified professionals, even, you know, students. Um, so I was coming into a college that had already established um, its processes for supporting students on the transition of online. And then coming from my former institution where that district also had a set. So I found myself at the beginning trying to figure out, okay, um, what of what I have been doing for the last couple of months makes sense to continue? And how am I um, making sure that I'm opening I'm open enough to hear what it is that's working for this college, right? For Berkeley City College and make sure not to disrupt BCC. So that was the keys. I, I, I came in with the intention of um, acknowledging that we were amidst the pandemic, acknowledging that it was a college that was amidst um, uh, constant transitions or it had a couple of presidents. Um, so I was the third president basically within a, a year's time. Um, between the transition of the previous permanent president and then an interim came in and then me. And so everything, everything was about transition. And so I just kept thinking, I need to be stability. I need to be calm. I need to be reassurance. Um, I need to be uh, open and honest and humble. And um, if I don't know something, I need to say that so that folks will know, okay, how do we problem solve together? And if I felt confident about something, not to shy away from it. So it was a lot of um, it was a lot of just wanting to um, engender uh, stability and trust amidst that because we were all making choices that were not typical of community colleges or community or um, typical of higher education. So there was a lot of risk taking that was already happening even before I came on board. And so then you're doing this major risk taking as faculty converting classes and classified professionals trying to figure out how to support students in a virtual environment. Um, and then you have a new president coming in and, um, you know, as, as part of my interview process, it was very much like, I want to be about this community and, and know what it needs. And so that was just my focus, to be honest. And I just kind of took it one day at a time, because I think trying to think out more than that would have been, um, lunacy to tell you the truth. Cause there was like no way to 
um, predict what could have happened. I think many of us were thinking it was going to be for a couple of months and here we are a year later still in the same space. So, um, so I think that's how I, that's how I took it. Right. I think it was, that was my approach. Well, I have to say like this, this makes total sense knowing you. And, you know, while I consider us friends and colleagues, I'm also a little bit of a fan girl, uh, in terms of your (laughs) leadership. (laughs) And, uh, I think uh, one of the things that I think that you really embody um, is this beautiful kind of uh, a balance between um, humility and and learner um, on the one hand and and confident um, leadership on the other hand. I think it's just it's it's nice. It's so oh, refreshing. Thank you. <laughs> so so what? So let's dig back a little bit uh, because this is your first presidency. It is. Um, and uh, what? You were a vice president for a while. So tell me about that in terms of your preparation and, and what else helped to prepare you for the role you're in now? Um, so I, I still think that the hardest job in the community college system is that of a dean. Um, and I know that I'm a president now and there's, there are definite things that are more high, like high stakes, but I felt like the hardest job I ever did was that of a dean. And uh, mostly because it's the closest that you are to faculty in the classroom, classified professionals, supporting students in a workshop or one-on-one. And you're, you're kind of in this sandwich space between um, uh, executive leadership kind of moving forward a vision and um, and also seeing and hearing the impact of those decisions and, and how they land or either they land as intended or they land totally flat or completely wrong. So my time as a dean actually is what I call on a lot, believe it or not, because I think um, I, I always am, am mindful that um, when a decision is being made at a president's cabinet level, I don't just think, okay, how can the VPs and the deans um, as a leadership team think about that? I think about, okay, how is this going to land um, and resonate with what we're hearing from faculty in the classroom or classified professionals who work with students in a workshop, financial aid activity, admissions and records, whatever the case may be. And so, um, it, and and my role as VP actually helped me really see that. Like, how do you support the vision that is um, a college president? And um, if you're in a multi-college district, the chancellor, how do you support implementing the vision that your highest level of leadership is trying to support while being mindful that there's a connection with everybody else on campus? And so as vice president of student services, I had the opportunity to um, take some lead on some pretty big campus-wide efforts. So implementation of guided pathways was a huge um, element that was uh, under my portfolio for a good chunk of time because the vice president of instruction position was under um, some change and some transition. So I was the constant for about three years there. Um, So between guided pathways um, and all that came with that, (laughs) between our um, Skyline College Promise Program, that was something that... um, was our commitment to the community. And so really paying attention to how the college connects with the community was a big piece of, of um, my responsibility. And, um, and I would say the, the moving efforts around implementation of an equity division. So the student equity and support programs division at, at my previous college. And so when I think about what prepared me for the presidency, I think is being being aware that like you have to do the work. You have to know what it feels like to um, bring in collective input and bring in 
dissenting ideas and hear them out and problem solve and figure out how to make it better. So there's that element. You have to be able to put the work in to ground it in research. And so when I think of a former program that I brought from um, the City University of New York system, where it was, was having major success, but it was completely different to what the paradigm of counseling and advising looks like in California. So having to like take that head on. So you have to ground it in data, you have to ground it in research. Um, and then I think the other piece is staying connected to the community and making sure that the college is relevant to what the community needs and is wanting and is expecting. And so um, those are like the broad vision pieces that I feel as I was thinking about a presidency, I just kept thinking like, I have to, I have to stay true to those elements because that's, that's how I think community colleges show up for communities. Now on a practical sense, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes in there, right? There's the wrestling with budgets and really seeing when you're trying to do equitable distribution of resources, how, um, when you're looking at what is equitable, it's not necessarily what is the same for everybody. And that's hard when everybody wants to see like, well, if they're going to get 9% more, I want to get 9% more. So the the technical stuff, right, are things like knowing how to um, address complex budgets, knowing how to work within shared governance and make sure that um, the allocation of resources makes sense to what is mission-driven. Um, the um, constant kind of human personnel relationship that that is probably the biggest element that we maybe um, in like professional programs don't spend a whole lot of time on it's like how do you work with people like how do you work with people to to hear them to support them to acknowledge them um, to know when you need to cultivate and nurture someone because they are just they're going to be there right they're going to be those key leaders to move the college and when you work with people and you say yeah this is not working anymore and let's let's help you find um, a dignified way of maybe figuring out what your next step is. Like that's not stuff that you normally get in, you know, master's program or even doctoral. I mean, that's that's a lot of either on the job or you have to do it intentionally. So, um, so when I finally think about um, like being prepared or and even prepared, I, I would argue that I think I'm still learning about it, but. Um, I felt like as vice president, I got a front row seat to supporting a college president who had a very strong sense of conviction, of a leadership perspective, of um, of a way to move an entire institution. And as vice president for just about over five years, that's a I felt like that was a really good amount of time to see things come from like this little seed of an idea to full blown implementation. And that's the part I think for me where then it made sense to consider the next step. So um, there are other colleagues I know who, who their, their track is much faster and I think that's great for them. Um, but I don't think it would have made sense for me to, um, to try any sooner than that. This idea of, again, seeing this, the seedling and then it becomes a full-blown implementation. And even now after I've left, you know, Skyline College, which is, you know, my previous institution, um, one of the programs that we brought there, they're now seeing massive increases in their two-year and three-year graduation rates. And that's beautiful, right? Because that's the, you took this idea, said, how do we make it work? You figure out how to make it work. And now students and the community are benefiting as a result of that. And so that's the kind of perspective that I aim to bring at Berkeley City College or to Berkeley City College. And then I, your name has come up in a lot of um, support kinds of roles, as I've been talking to other college presidents and vice presidents about, um, uh, as, basically I asked them like, do you have mentors? Do you have a network? 
and your name has come up a lot. So you, <laughs> so you're, you're Hopefully not the, what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, your colleagues out there are, they're, they're saying good stuff about you, uh, but, but about learning together as new presidents, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, having that kind of network. Oh yeah. That's huge. Yes. And well, I cause imagine- that's one of the things I talk about. I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, go ahead. Um, but that's one of the things that I, that I think has been component. Um, and the language that I use, I call them critical homies, but this idea that you have people who, um, care enough about you to let you know with honesty and with respect when, um, you are veering the wrong way or a way that could be detrimental, um, or that I can trust enough that one can trust enough for like, look, I'm in this dilemma and here's what I'm thinking and have someone who's a sounding board, whose only interest is to be a true mirror and a reflection to you. And that's, it's hard to find folks like that. I think one who are willing to be brave enough. Cause I think, um, it's not hard to tell someone that you maybe even care about or respect. Like, I think you have it like dead wrong right now. And, and that's the level of community um, that I think is important. Certainly I cultivated that in the role of vice president and coming into the presidency. That's something that I think for those of us who have become presidents over the last year, we've got this little, this smaller network because um, it's not as if we got the training manual on how to become a president during a health pandemic. Yeah. And right. Just, you know, racial unrest and a racial reckoning. Like, so it's been, it's been great to have um, that level of, of community to know that you're not going it alone, I guess. Oh, yeah. It, well, it's so good. It's so, it's just, it's so, um, yeah, it's so important. Nobody else knows what you're going through, really. Like there's, you have some camaraderie and some experiences that other folks can imagine or yeah. probably try not to imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but speaking of that though, um, I am going to be uh, interviewing some retired college leaders, some nonprofit leaders, or some folks who are, you know, about to leave um, those positions. Uh, what, what should I ask them? What would you like to hear? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I probably would want to know um, what they considered one of their biggest challenges or failure and how they recovered from that or were able to grow from that. Um, I would want to know maybe the ways in which they were able to advance um, institutional reform efforts that were really about uh, racial equity and justice and, um, and what that was like for them. Um, I imagine that there's probably quite a bit of scarring that, that comes with that. Um, oh gosh, I feel like there's so much I'd want to know. I'd want to know, like, gosh, do they eventually get to the point where you don't work like 18 hour days or, or is that just the norm? It's like the joking side. Um, I think I would also want to know, um, you know, those moments when they felt like they could not maybe go another day or they couldn't see themselves at the institution. Like what was the point when they realized like, no, I'm still in this role and and I'm the person that can do this. And what maybe led to them saying that maybe it was no longer their time anymore, no longer their garden to tend to. And like, how do you, how do you figure that out? Um, um, I feel like I somehow should give you like, I don't know, more, 
poignant pieces, but those are like the honest things that I would want to know about. Yeah, those are great. Those are great. Okay. And and your colleagues are also chiming in. And I got, yeah. you know, I got a few on my own. So I'm going to be okay. putting these together. Yeah. 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 I, there's just, there's so much like, how is, how has this work? How's the role of the college and the college president changed? Yeah. Like that, that's a, I mean, I think that's a huge component as well. Okay. So I have, a, I have a really, okay. So here's a question. I don't know if this is appropriate. If you're going to edit this out of your, your, your interview here. Um, but I would really want to know um, in what ways they figured out to advance um, the development of employees at the college, faculty, classified professionals, other administrators, especially in terms of addressing whiteness um, and really trying to move this needle to institutions that um, are trying to shift and become more culturally relevant and become more connected to broader diverse communities. Like I would really want to know like if they felt they were able to do that or if they felt like at the point of retiring, um, the institution was actually not really moving in terms of the institutional culture piece. Because I feel like we're doing like these bits and pieces, but I have yet to hear of a college that is saying like, yes, we are just, we don't deal with the patriarchy anymore. And we don't deal with white supremacy anymore. And we don't deal with, you know, sexism and institutionalized racism. And so I just wonder, right? Like, I wonder if they are able to gauge what elements of progress have happened, or if honestly, they might say, you know, there were some good years and a couple of times where it happened, but no, the institution's really not any better than before. It's kind of a depressing question, I realize. But I just wonder if there's like an ebb and flow where um, you get these like really crystallized moments where you have all the right people on your team and the energy is all moving in the right direction. And, and you start to make some headway until like something happens, <laughs> like maybe COVID happens. And does that does that stop institutional progress or does that accelerate it in some case? So anyway, those are some some additional thoughts. I- I do remember being at this, this one college and, and uh, I hadn't had a lot of experiences with different colleges. So it was a colleague from another college who said, you know, that's kind of weird, right? Uh, in a good way. Um, I think if I can remember right, the, all of the vice presidents were women mm-hmm. and the, like the super majority of deans were women. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't just, I, it just, didn't really occur to me that that was unusual at all. Like yeah. I just thought like, Oh, education, there's a lot of women in education. Yeah. No, and, I was and part a, of an all female executive team. Yeah. You're right. That's not normal. At right, one point. Right. And even mine right now, I have an entire, uh, at Berkeley city college where all women, all women of color, um, as the executive leadership team. So there, there's some definite elements, um, I think that are, that are, um, different about that in a really great way. Um, and also in some ways that we have to work to make sure that we're um, holding broader perspective. But yeah, no, I don't I don't think it's the norm, although now this will be my second team where it's been all women <laughs> that are part of the executive team. Yeah, it's changing. The world's changing. But at the same time, I'm reaching out to all these colleagues. You're the only woman uh, so far on this yeah. season. So, mm. you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's worth noting. Oh. Um, I do, I do have some kind of lighter questions for okay. you if you're ready to go into, so okay. these are rapid fire. Don't think too much about it. Okay. Um, what's your favorite hot sauce? My mom's homemade salsa. It's really good. The one that she makes, um, in December, getting ready for the tamalada where we make tamales every year. That's my favorite. It's like the, it's like the best 
chile ever. As a matter of fact, I just had some like last week with some scrambled eggs and tortillas, my little migas. It was yummy. Anyway, that's my and favorite. Any secret ingredient you can share? Or? Um, I don't know if it's a secret ingredient. It's just a really lengthy process. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like soaking of dry leaves, chiles, and then you boil them so that you cook them. And then there's like a seeding process. I, it's just labor intensive. So that's why she only makes it once a year, but it's my favorite. And then I freeze little, like little pouches and I use it when I want to make enchiladas or I use it when I want to just like braise some meat in it or something. Um, and I did, I just had it a couple of weeks ago um, when, yeah, with some eggs and, and corn tortillas. It was awesome. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. my, my son, he's 13. Last year he got into, this is one of his COVID weird hobbies, I guess, yeah. um, making hot sauce and oh. like fermenting it and fermenting the, yeah, it was That's pretty sophisticated. That's a tough palate. So as much as I like it, it's like, it sometimes can be really hot. It can like blow your oh, yeah. out of the water. But. Oh yeah. He can eat. I can't. Yeah, I can't eat it. <laughs> oh, a little bit. I'm like, I'm hoping that I have some left in the freezer because I'm going to want to make some now that you're making me think about it. <laughs> well, if, if, if it occurs to you to share the recipe, if you're into it, you know, we can put it in the transcripts, but you Sounds know, good. that's up to you. That's up to your mom, really. Yeah, yeah that's her. Um, what, uh, what band or musician do you like never get tired of? You could listen to them every day. Oh my gosh, that's a good one. What band or musician? Um, it's a little bit hard because during the pandemic, I feel like I've gotten these like genres depending on my mood. Um, but lately, so there's there's one who's actually a new, well, new artist to me, probably not to others. Her name is Julieta Venegas. And I just love her vibe. She's got a good mix. It's, you know, she's, a, uh, it's in Spanish, but she's got this good vibe. That's like, you know, some of her songs can be kind of peppy and funky. And then others are a little bit more like love song ballads. But, but when I find myself playing her music, I'm in this space where I'm kind of reminiscing about being home with my family but I'm usually cooking or in the kitchen. So I need to be moving around. So I can't just be like being lulled to sleep by it. So that's been a really great one. Um, I would say, and I have two young girls that are growing up. So I think in order to be in good graces with my tweener, um, T- Taylor Swift has been uh, on the, on the playlist a lot. <laughs> so She's got, she's, she's got an amazing story. Taylor Swift. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. A, that's, it's an interesting one. So, but those are the two um, I would say. And then I see, no, that's not fair to ask. Cause then I'm thinking like, sometimes I'm in a hip hop mood and it's like old school, like run DMC kind of style. So anyway, there you go. Nice, nice, nice. What is the most underrated dessert? Oh, really good vanilla ice cream. Like really, really good vanilla bean ice cream, I think is underrated. Okay, now I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can put anything on it, right? Like you can like, that can like, that can be anything. Yeah. You can put it in coffee. Like that's one of my favorite ways, actually. Throw, yeah. throw a little dollop in coffee. <laughs> my mother does that. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the best $100? $100 or less that you have ever spent? 
See, on this one, I have my like pre-COVID pandemic answer and my during. Can I give you two? Give us both. Okay. So my um, pre-COVID one is going to be this um, like professional backpack that I got that's like a a black, it could convert into a tote bag. It's a backpack. It's pretty lightweight. Um, It became my go-to because I felt like, especially when you're like traveling and working, I I like to move quickly. So I don't like things that I have to roll or shoulders like feel like women, we get, um, between the high heels and the bags that have the straps that don't really work, we can like jack up our backs. So, um, so that was by far the best, um, money that I've spent so much so that one of my coworkers called me Dora La Exploradora whenever I was on it. Cause I would like get my backpack and be traveling or at conferences and I'm just ready to go. Cause my hands are free. Right. And I can navigate. So that was my favorite, uh, pre COVID, um, Matter of fact, I just just used it today. Like I love that backpack. Um, and then during COVID, actually, has been a parenting moment for my kids. And that is, um, my kindergartner got into this local uh, reading podcast here in the Bay Area called Reading Bug. I cannot recommend this enough. And they're free, so that's not where the money comes in. But they're free. But um, during this pandemic and my kid, you know, just trying to like have some normalcy, um, she still does this like resting uh, period every day. And so she's listened to podcasts that have taken her to the, to the Egypt, to Antarctica, to Mexico, to like, she's learned about things that I feel like they became the supplemental educational source. And so we decided last summer to become patrons of that. And, um, and so we now gifted both to my younger daughter and my 11 year old um, participating in this like monthly subscription. So you tell them like what your kids are interested in and they get it right every single month. The books that come, my kids love it. They're bilingual They're I mean, everything that's about it. And I feel like that was the, during COVID the best, like $100 spent ever, because uh, I felt like we got support in parenting and, and my kids were able to we were able to promote their love of reading, but more importantly for my little, um, she like goes into these like far away creative lands and she's learning things that, um, I just think is beautiful. Right. So like, that's been the best money we've spent during this COVID pandemic. Nice. nice. Well, yeah. I want to make sure that we get the names of all of these in yeah. the backpack, the subscription service, the, the reading bug. Oh, okay. Yeah. All Tim of Buck that. two is the backpack. So Tim Buck two is the backpack. Okay. I, I think I, there's a store here in the Bay area, but I don't know if it's a Bay area native store. That one has just been great. And I don't do bling blingy. Like that's not me. So it is like a, the plainest yeah. Black backpack you could like think of. And that's sweet, what I have. Sweet, yeah. sweet. Yeah. We'll make sure we get, I'll okay. put links to all of those because, Great. you know, we got to hook each other up. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, so as we are, as we are coming to a close here, um, are there any questions that I should have asked you, but I didn't? <sighs> questions that you should have asked me. You know, and about like being a president or transitions, if it's transitions anything. or anything. Um, gosh, I feel like no, because this is just like a like a comfortable conversation. Uh, but maybe what I'll share is this. Um, over this past year, I feel like I have um, been able to firsthand experience what it looks like when we all come together to support students. And I think of the ways that not only Berkeley City College or my district, but I think across the state, how we've come together to support students transitioning online. 
um, amidst COVID-19 and the health pandemic, the way that um, colleges are responding to um, the the racial reckoning, um, the ways that the killing of you know the George Floyd's and the Breonna Taylors and the Ahmad right like that that we are, we're putting front and center what students experience in their daily lives that that's now becoming more of a norm across the system as opposed to you happen to work at that one college in that one district in that one city that does that um, so I feel like that has been a huge element. And then, um, and so connected to that is this idea that we all have a role to play um, to advance student success and student completion. And I just feel like amidst this really incredible, stressful, and, and in, in a lot of ways, traumatic time that we've experienced, that this entire system has come together. And I feel really proud to be a part of that. Um, I feel really proud to be a part of a movement um, that is bigger than I think anything I could have ever um, dreamed about that's also just so connected to my own personal like mission and ideology and politics. So, I mean, that, make, that makes it easier. Um, and I just feel like we should give the California community colleges and those of us that are teaching and running the colleges um, enough credit that that happens because people decide, like people like you and me decide that we're going to figure it out, right? And because that's what we need to do for students. And so I feel like that's, that's this hidden gem. I remember being on a um, Stop AAPI Hate Saturday webinar, and we were talking about this idea of how do we not tear each other down and we come together in community. And at the end, I remember saying, you know, unity is our superpower. And so that's the piece. Um, when, when we find ways to come together, then, then all of these challenges become um, a possibility to, to overcome. So maybe that's what I would share as some closing thoughts. Oh my gosh. Unity is our superpower. That's it. That's yeah. the t-shirt. There you go. It's a bumper <laughs> sticker. That's that's my next tattoo. <laughs> well, um, uh, Doctora, uh, my dear oh. friend Angelica, thank oh, you. Thanks so for much. having me, Naomi. This was this, this been, was great. I'm sorry oh. it took so long, but I think it happened right when it needed to. How about that? Absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Thank you so, so much. I am just imagining a bunch of little bags of Angelica's mother's salsa in her freezer, like flavorful power packs of awesomeness. All the organizations and that cool briefcase will be linked in the show notes. One of the questions Dr. Garcia wants to ask retired leaders is, do you ever get to the point where you don't work 18 hours a day? I wanna know that too. Send me your suggestions of retired college and nonprofit leaders. Maybe they can answer that question. Hit me up on Twitter at Naomi Castro, P-R-O-F. One last thing. If you like season one and you want to hold it in your hand, well, you can. You can get season one transcripts in book format. The link is on the CastroPod webpage and you can find it on Amazon. It's a little easier to cite that way. 